Hey Fresh Capital listeners, welcome back to another episode. This week we're returning to the usual, we're breaking down a company, this time it's Commonwealth Bank of Australia, CBA. Watch out for our discussion of how COVID-19 and current market conditions are going to be affecting banks in the future. As always, send us your thoughts through our email in the show notes. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about investing and companies. My name is Dan and I'm joined by my good friend, Albert. Albert, how's it going? Dan, I'm good. I've got uh, some news to report on the house hunt. Um, Oh, please, tell us more. I found a great apartment um, in Ultimo, so moving there in a few weeks. it's going to be good. There's a there's a full time doorman, so it's going to be a fancy, uh, fancy shift upwards in my life. I think it's always nice when there's someone downstairs to uh, pick up your Domino's Uber Eats. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. I, that's all I use it for. <laughs> no, he's he's a super nice guy. He's he offered me cookies when I went to go check out the place again. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. He, he might be someone who actually owns the whole joint and he was buttering you up to make sure that you got in. I actually think that because he approved our rental application. So I assume he's got some sway. There you go. I'm going well. Uh, for anyone else who's in Sydney at the moment, it's just basically been a weekend indoors. Uh, it's been bucketing down, floods all over the state. Um, but aside from being reined in, everything's going well. Nice. You ready to get into um, CBA today? Let's do it. So this episode, we're going to be discussing the pitch for Commonwealth Bank of Australia, CBA, uh, a name that is recognisable by most people in Australia. As with every week, we'll start off with a summary of the business. We'll then discuss what is driving CBA's revenue, trends in the industry and competitors. We'll finish the episode with our overall verdict on the company. So CBA is one of Australia's leading providers of financial services, provides retail, business and institutional banking, funds management, superannuation, life insurance, general insurance, all sorts of financial products. Uh, In Australia, for those that aren't familiar, there's a four pillars policy that was put in place in 1990. Essentially what that means is there's four major banks, CBA, NAB, ANZ, and Westpac, and they're not allowed to merge uh, with each other. So you essentially just have uh, a four main uh, banks in Australia. Uh, CBA not only operates in Australia, it also operates in New Zealand and has a few, a few operations in the UK, United States, China, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, Indonesia, and South Africa. We're going to mainly focus on its uh, business here in Australia and New Zealand. For financial year 2020, their revenue was 23 billion. That was about the same in financial year 19. Net income has been about the same, uh, actually increasing a little bit in financial year 2020, but we're going to get into some of the business segments and uh, break down a little bit of the trends in terms of if those are becoming more profitable or less profitable. Albert, do you want to get into the business segments that CBA has? Yes, sounds good. So uh, ComBank is quite a behemoth. 
um, they think about their business in a number of different business units, but I'll just kind of riff off the largest five, which bulk up, you know, almost 99% of their revenue. The largest of their revenue bucket or profitability bucket is retail banking. And they provide banking, insurance products and services to personal customers. So like customers like you and I, Dan, if we opened a ComBank bank account, a credit card, um, we would fall into the retail banking um, part of the business. Uh, that generated about 55% of their profitability uh, or NPAT as they call it. And at a net interest margin of 2.63%. Um, I'll drive into what this net interest margin is um, after I give an overview of each of these business units. It's a pretty important part of how ComBank or other retail banks in Australia generates revenue. Um, the, the next biggest part of their business is what they call business and private banking. Um, similar again to the services it provides to you and me, um, tailored for the needs of large businesses, corporates, and then agribusinesses. So in addition to, you know, those basic business banking, um, you know, solutions it provides, it also provides kind of a suite of advisory services, um, as well as, you know, business merchant transactions and ComSec trading. Third biggest is institutional banking. This makes about 9% of its profitability um, at a net interest margin of 1%, so quite low in comparison to other parts of the business. Um, and then if you think about the spectrum of, you know, you're serving larger and larger customers, this is probably the largest customers Compact Soul serves. Uh, it serves commercial and wholesale banking needs of really large corporates and other institutions. And then lastly, kind of the two smaller parts of its businesses wealth management, and then it's New Zealand business unit, which predominantly services New Zealand customers at a net interest margin of 2.11%. How's that for a quick kind of riff off of this behemoth? It's a good way of breaking it down. So I think just to recap that so it's in the heads of all our listeners, about 55% or half of their revenue comes from retail banking, the home loans, savings deposits, credit cards, 36% is from business and private banking, in merchant transactions, ComSec trading, 9% institutional banking, 11%-ish uh, New Zealand, which is just an entire bundle of itself. And then you have a few other percentage points for the other business segments. But that's the money is essentially in the retail banking and business and private banking segments. Albert, which of those two do you want to tackle first? And uh, you can maybe get into uh, some of the figures that you have as well. I really, um, I really like how you said New Zealand with an accent. I don't know whether you've done that inadvertently or uh, on purpose, um, but it's great. It gives a bit of flavour to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just before I dive into one of these segments, um, I'll quickly just talk about how they actually generate profit. Um, so this net interest margin we were talking about before, um, as a bank, CBA, uh, I guess, borrows money from other institutions, either the RBA or other major providers, um, or generates um, capital through a bunch of major borrowing programs. Um, if you go onto the CBA's website, you can see a list of um, how it generates money or where it gets money from, and then kind of the parameters for um, that debt to come to CBA. But ultimately, it generates revenue by then lending that money out to other providers, other people, such as you and me, businesses, corporates, institutions, and generates revenue on a kind of a haircut or a tiny razor thin margin in between 
the cost it has to borrow that money and then the price it lends that money. So when I was talking about the net interest margin of those different business units, um, what that margin represents is the amount of money that Combank makes on the money it's borrowed and then the money it lends. So for retail banking, its largest segment, uh, it makes about a 2.63 uh, net interest margin. But um, for business banking, it makes a slightly higher net interest margin, 3.1. And comparatively, um, CBA has a pretty good net interest margin. It actually leads the pack against the other big four banks. Um, so as a whole, it's at 2.07%, NAB's at 1.77, Westpac's at 2.03, and ANZ's at 1.63. Um, so it can generate probably a lot more income, even though those numbers are quite small. The absolute magnitude of the number it makes is quite high um, in comparison to the banks, um, which is, to me is quite interesting because I always thought, Dan, given the scale of Combank and the competitiveness of the banking market, these kind of net interest margins would be very similar. That's not necessarily the case. Yeah, and it's a, a great one to dive into to understand how banks operate and how they make money. The analogy that I've heard used, which I think is a good one, is that debt, uh, D-E-B-T, is like the iron ore for a steel manufacturer, but that's what debt is for banks. It's what they use to generate all their products. So you can have different types of debt. If I deposit $1,000 into my bank, uh, essentially they owe me a debt of $1,000 because I've already given them that money. And then I can get that debt by you know, going to an ATM or something and withdrawing parts of that amount. And with that $1,000 that I've deposited with them, they can then go use that money for other things. They could bundle a whole bunch of us together and use those savings to generate a mortgage product to service some other customer who's looking to put a loan out on a house. Uh, similarly, they can borrow uh, from the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and use a much larger sum of money to produce other services and other products as well. But it all stems from, as we've talked about, Albert, debt. Uh, they are the intermediary between someone providing them with money and then them loaning it out to another person. Now, this is a heavily regulated sector. Um, different governments have different uh, multipliers. So the debt multiplier in Australia is for every $100 a bank lends out, they have to have $10.50 on their books. Uh, so essentially, it's almost 10x that they can get a dollar in and then they can lend out $10, um, that sort of magnitude. Um, you might hear of responsible lending laws and regulations, and sometimes that is a reduction on that multiplier. So maybe it would be for every $100 that a bank lends out, they have to have $20 on their book. And you can imagine how that really restricts or promotes their activity, depending how much freedom they have to essentially have a certain amount in reserve so that they can pay out these debts when they come due. Uh, so I think it was a really important point to go into, Albert. Do you want to pick your business segment now and uh, go into a little bit in depth there? Yeah, let's do that. I think the probably one that resonates with me, given, you know, I'm a retail customer, um, I have a Combank bank account. Um, definitely let's talk about retail banking. That's the largest part of their business. 
um, and by order of magnitude generates kind of the largest part of its profitability. We kind of dive really deep into what the products are within retail banking. I know we just talked about at a high level, it's like credit cards, personal loans, et cetera. Um, but it is really any kind of banking solution that is operated or managed by either an individual or a non-corporate entity. So whether that's, you know, me, Dan, or you, Dan, um, taking out a credit card with ComBank, whether we're going to get a home loan, personal loan, um, credit cards and things like that, you know, ComBank makes the majority of its revenue and the majority of its profit through servicing and supporting local customers or uh, individual customers with banking solutions. I think to me, this is a pretty interesting part of um, ComBank, or maybe not interesting is not the right word, um, but interesting to talk about uh, because it's driven by, I guess, two things, driven by economic performance, um, you know, at a point in time, because that's what, you know, propels consumers to spend money, take out credit cards, take out personal loans, buy homes. Um, the other thing it's kind of driven by is, is interest rates. We know that interest rates right now are quite low. And as a result of that, that's affected um, CBA's performance, not only across the board as a business, but particularly in their personal banking or their personal uh, retail banking section because it's so heavily geared towards a high volume of customers. Yeah, so let's talk about that one in the context of mortgages, which a lot of people are familiar with. It's a loan over a home. Um, you can have fixed rate mortgages or you can have variable rates. As the, the name suggests, a fixed rate would be if at the start of my mortgage, we say, you know, interest rates go up and down, but for the next 20 years, let's set ours at 3%. And so for the lifetime of my mortgage, I'm going to pay 3%. At times, I'm going to be losing on that because the interest rates, rates generally are lower. At times, I'm going to be winning because interest rates are higher. But, you know, I'm a bit of a stickler. I like to have certainty in my life. I want to have a fixed rate mortgage. There's others who will have a variable rate. Um, Maybe it's because it's upfront a little bit cheaper, um, but they choose to, to go that route. For all the customers that have a variable rate, uh, in this current climate where interest rates are quite cheap, it means that the expected return that the bank will get on each of those mortgages is likely lower than they might have accounted for, particularly pre-COVID. If you think a year ago plus, they would have had expectations about how much income they'll be generating from each of these mortgages. And they would have expected that the interest rates would be higher than they are currently. And now that those interest rates are lower, it's really just gonna affect their bottom line. It's, a, it's an interesting business where um, nothing has changed about the product except its profitability. Um, you know, the house is still there, the repayments are still being made. It's just the interest rate is, is lower, the margins less for the bank. And you multiply that out by the millions plus customers that CBA have, it really starts to affect their bottom line. Even more so when you talk about impairments, which is essentially the word for people who are unable to pay their loan repayments in a timely fashion. Uh, every bank uh, has a you know, general understanding of how many of their loans are going to be bad loans, how many people are just not going to be able to repay them. Um, and they build that into their pricing. 
But when you have a big event like a financial crisis, like COVID-19 pandemics, that can really skew the expectations. Um, and when you're dealing with a margin-based business, that can be enough to perhaps tip it so that you're no longer being profitable on them. Current forecast seems to be that the impairments are quite under control uh, and less particularly in Australia than, than some forecasts saw, but no doubt it's going to impact on this particular business segment, the retail banking segment. Yeah. And when I think about the future of ComBank in relation to these two things, and then you overlay the pandemic on top of that, um, like you said, Dan, I don't necessarily think that um, there's going to be huge amounts of growth for ComBank, um, particularly given these low interest rates, particularly given, you know, the amount of troublesome impaired assets they have on their books, potentially have on their books, you know, coming um, in the next two years or so. I know that, you know, JobKeeper's recently run out, even though they've recently just extended um, the payments, it doesn't necessarily cover what JobKeeper was paying. Um, I know the safe harbour provisions um, ended on the 1st of January this year. So for a lot of small businesses um, who are staving off insolvency, um, just by the nature of the law, um, they can't do that anymore. There's a really interesting chart on um, slide, slide page 23 of the annual report um, that talks about consumer arrears. And so what it's showing, Dan, is um, in the past three years, consumer arrears greater than 90 days. That's customers of ComBank who haven't paid back a particular loan that they have with them um, within 90 days or greater than 90 days has increased um, for two of their major products, personal loans and credit cards. Kind of they attribute um, a pretty big increase from 19 to 20 um, to COVID-19. Um, there's a pretty big increase in um, people not paying back credit cards um, between June 19 and June 20. When you look to you know next year and the year after that, I don't see that trend declining. I actually see that trend continuing. And given how over-indexed CBA is in retail banking, I think this is going to be a major issue in their profitability moving forward. Like the other overlay I want to put on is home loans. I know you just talked about interest rates being quite low, um, but it's there's an interesting dichotomy there where because interest rates are quite low, people are borrowing or potentially borrowing a lot more than they can afford. Um, or a lot more that they would have borrowed um, if interest rates were a bit higher, or I would say the economy was more normalised. And so, you know, in the next couple of years, um, even though ComBank has said they've increased or tightened their approach to home loans, that if they have, or if people have taken out loans for greater amounts of principal and they can pay back, um, you're going to see that troubled and pair assets number increase. Yeah, you will see it. I guess I've got quite a bit of confidence that if you compare uh, the sentiment in Australia now to a year ago, there were some real dire predictions a year ago when, when COVID hit. You know, unemployment at 20%, uh, just absolute chaos and, and a financial crisis like which we've never seen. And those forecasts really haven't, paid out, uh, haven't panned out. If you look at, so this is sort of midway through last year, um, Commonwealth Bank had 145,000 loans worth $51 billion on repayment holidays, essentially frozen. Uh, you don't have to repay the interest on these loans at the moment because of, of the pandemic. 
that's now decreased from 145,000 to about 25,000 loans worth about 9 billion. And it could actually be a little bit less, those figures uh, from last year. So if you take a look at that number of 51 billion down to about 9 billion worth of loans, even less, it shows that they were expecting a real catastrophe happening and it just hasn't panned out. So while I think we can agree that there might be some hits to the profitability, I suspect that the banks and Commonwealth Bank in particular are feeling pretty confident where they are into basically being able to have on their books some of these bad debts and uh, still keep going on into the future. Yeah, I guess the better question then on that is if you're confident that ComBank can kind of rise with the tide, um, would ComBank be a business? You know, it's a behemoth and obviously Australia's biggest listed business. Um, would you invest in ComBank and what's the case to invest in ComBank? Well, as strident as I was in my defence of them just now, I came into this uh, episode with the research thinking I'm pretty keen on ComBank, but at the end of my research, I've probably turned the corner and it's much less to do with ComBank as it is just other the, the prevailing uh, market conditions. So generally, recessions are a bad time to be in banks for, for three reasons. One, we've already talked about interest rates. During a recession, interest rates are generally low because governments are trying to promote economic activity. Uh, and the way you do that is you have low interest rates so that the price of borrowing money is low. Hey, Albert, you've got a, a new startup you want to do, promote economic activity, interest rates are low, so you can borrow money to do that quite easily. It just removes some of the barriers. So you've got really low interest rates, which just impact on banks' uh, profitability and margins. As we've also talked about, you have increased loan impairments during a recession or recession-like um, market conditions. You have people making less money, perhaps being unemployed. Unemployment is still quite high in Australia and other parts of the world. And that just means that you're less likely to be able to pay off your existing loans, your existing mortgages, which will affect banks. And then thirdly, you just generally have less liquidity and activity in the market. Because it's a recession, people you know, don't feel like they can spend that money on a TV, on a house, on whatever it might be. They think maybe now is not the best time for me to start up that cafe that I've always wanted to. So you just have depressed market conditions and that affects a business, which is all about transactions happening and them making a margin off those transactions by facilitating loans and debts and other financial products. Yeah, I actually, I probably agree with your sentiment, but I'm going to put back to you that um, I started in the same position, which is, you know, to me, CBA is not a particularly attractive business. I know I like unsexy, you know, businesses with, you know, strong growth potential are going through a big transformation. A CBA is constantly going through big transformations. Um, but to me, I, I don't think um, CBA is the type of business or the business I want to put my money in. Although I would treat it in the same way CBA does treat its money and use it to generate income to then fuel other potential investments if I had large scale capital. Because with CBA, you know you're gonna get a particular dividend return. You know you're gonna get really slow and steady growth, um, which you can kind of milk 
to then invest in other things, given, I guess, the low risk investment. I think to me, the greater question though is, is um, retail banking or financial services in Australia attractive to invest in? Uh, I think the answer to that is no. It's a pretty and highly mature market. I know there's quite a few innovations in the space around, you know, neobanks or digital banks, you know, payments are shifting a lot. We talked about Tyro. Tyro is a business I like a lot and probably a business we should talk about in this podcast at some point. Um, you know, there's this rocket ship, buy now, pay later, um, which I'm not a huge fan of, to be honest, but um, it's a rocket ship I have written before and I'm happy to ride again. Um, so, you know, very mature, not particularly growing market segment. Um, I guess in addition to that, you know, there's a lot of banks in Australia and there's basically no incentive to stay a customer of one bank for a particularly long amount of time. You know, there's always these new offers for customers, especially retail customers, to shift and change banks. It's quite easy to shift and change banks. You know, it's very easy for me to sign up to a bank online and submit those um, bank details to my employer to have my wage paid into that or start using that credit card. I know Westpac's offering um, a really great saving rate for anyone under 30, um, which beats all the other savings accounts of other banks if people want to use that. Um, so there's no real stickiness to customers. Um, in saying that, though, I know a lot of people who have opened CBA bank accounts or uh, had CBA bank accounts open for them while they were kids, and they haven't switched despite how easy it is to switch. So maybe there is just some sort of inherent stickiness there. I guess lastly, the reason why I find as a whole financial services unattractive is, you know, that net interest margin we were talking about um, earlier this episode, it's actually been on a decline. So the RBA's um, posted this really great chart of the net interest margin from, you know, big four banks um, since the early 2000s, and it's been on a decline from 3.5% to this 2% number. So over time, banks have become less profitable. I think with interest rates as low as they are, that's going to continue. I think structurally for me, that makes financial services an unattractive area to play in or invest in. I'll take up two points there. And just dealing with that last point quickly, what you'd want to see then if the those banking transactions are less profitable you would want to see population growth or immigration migration to help pump up the numbers. Even if you're making a lower margin, if you've got higher volume, then you can keep your, your revenue generation up. And with COVID-19, we're just not seeing those same inflows. Recently, I, I did see a news article which said that population growth just uh, naturally within the population in terms of births is lower. And of course, travel and migration to Australia is, is basically cut off as well. So I expect that trend to continue for the next year or two. Um, it's actually not uncommon during recession-like uh, times for there to be a decrease in population because, you know, if, if you're a, a parent, you just think now's not the best time for us to have a child who's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, so... Yeah, I think that supports your point, Albert. Where I do challenge you is this idea of stickiness. And from personal experience, I signed up with Commonwealth Bank probably when I was about five years old in kindergarten. It was part of a school's program, and I've had the same bank account ever since. 
did you um did you sign up for the dolomites <laughs> it was the dolomites program oh no that's how they get you <laughs> um, i think it's a sense of trust and safety that here's this bank that i've held my money with since you know before i was financially literate to be honest uh it just feels strange for me to be moving that money elsewhere um I don't know if other people feel the same, but I just, I've never thought I'm going to switch banks. Uh, I've never even thought, I've, I've thought occasionally to check and compare interest rates, but unless there's a really fantastic deal out there, I've never been um, persuaded or influenced that, that that's going to be a deciding factor for me to move. So I do think there's an inherent stickiness to the business. And that interfaces really well with uh, a part of Commonwealth Bank, which exceeds, which is their customer service. So I think they're rated first in uh, Roy, Mar Roy Morgan's sort of um, assessment of these features, particularly compared to their competitors. Their customer service is great. That's from when you walk into a branch and you just have a good interaction with their staff who are knowledgeable and capable of, of helping you out. Uh, it goes back to some of the points we made in our JB Hi-Fi episode. But those things, as they interface with individual customers times thousands across Australia, really do make a difference and really do promote stickiness uh, to a particular brand and to a particular company. And I think Commonwealth Bank have got that pretty well locked up. What I wanted to sort of go into is this idea of disruption. Uh, and you mentioned some of the buy now, pay later um, entrance in the market, because that's one where if banking is changing, if inherently it's not just about who I'd rather keep my money with, it's I have a completely different product or service provided by a competitor, like an afterpay. Well, now that's a different conversation. And you see a lot of these new entrants starting off with a particular product, in those cases, buy now, pay later, and then thinking, well, we've got all this financial information from our customers. How can we leverage this into different things? Um, and sometimes those are digital payment wallets. Um, sometimes those are, you know, help with where all your transactions are going, helping you budget, those sorts of things. But I, I feel like there's going to be disruption in this area. Can you can you see it as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like we were talking about, um, you know, the great customer experience that CPA has. I think it's really great that you raised this point because given how many neo banks are coming into the market, um, how many online banks are kind of getting spun out of other banks, um, you know, something that Combank needs to do to win because they can't necessarily compete in terms of digital experience. Um, with some of these banks is to provide a really solid customer experience. So when you look to the future, I kind of see um, two parts of divergence, I guess. The first is for the traditional big four banks to maintain their physical footprint, but to capitalize on that physical footprint and maintain a really strong customer experience. Because despite, you know, the shift to online banks, people do, do still need to go into um, a physical bank branch. Um, at some point or another. I went to a physical bank branch the other day um, to verify my identity for a credit card I'd taken out. Um, so people do still need to do that. Um, I guess the other thing is this idea of ecosystems. And you talked about, um, you know, buy now, pay later, harnessing a lot of data to then inform what products and solutions they provide their customers. Um, Combank started to recognise that 
they may not have the kind of broad depth of capabilities or presence and necessarily buy now, pay later, some of these millennial banks, but they're starting to form partnerships and ecosystems with businesses like Klarna, which is one of the buy now, pay later kind of offerings that's still private at the moment. Um, they've recently launched, or not recently, but have launched X15 Ventures, um, which is kind of an incubator and corporate VC fund within Combank to invest in a lot of fintech startups. Um, you know, they're looking at divesting from assets um, that don't necessarily form in their thesis of being a simple and better bank. And so where I see CBA going in the future is trying to capitalize on a lot of these big technology trends like online banking, digital banks, you know, ecosystems, particularly in retail, or how um, consumers interact with banking or payments um, to build a really holistic suite of products that position them to compete, not only against old incumbent banks like ANZ, Westpac, but also with new players like Afterpay, Tyra. I agree. I think we might get to our verdict on the company now, Albert. And what I would say is CBA is, is a fantastic business. It's clearly well run. It's driving efficiencies at a much better rate than all of its competitors at a greater size than its competitors. Um, its market capitalization is, you know, twice that of its competitors. It's at 112 billion and Westpac is the closest X1 of the big four at, at $59 billion. So they're just an outstanding business. I've, I've looked at some of their diversity and um, employment HR sort of initiatives. They had a target in 2020 to have 40% of executive manager and above roles uh, have women in leadership. They met that with 41% and they've immediately set a new goal for 2025 to have 47 to 50% women in those positions. It's heartening to me to see that they're just such a well-run business, which is balanced across all these issues, performance, diversity, service to, to customers and consumers. It, it's a really good business. But uh, for me, the market conditions aren't great for it. It's for me a cyclical stock, therefore, you know, after COVID-19 runs its course and economic conditions pick up, I think I'm definitely going to be at the front door looking to get in. But at the moment, I'm probably going to pass on, on CBA and other banks. Yeah, I want to probably echo the same sentiment. I think I'll just add on as a business or a place to work, you know, the amount of technology investment that CBA is putting into their business all the divestments and cash generating activities it's going into to become this really digital and digitally enabled bank um, is immense. Um, if you're kind of technology talent, why wouldn't you work at CBA? I know it's not as sexy, but they've got a huge book of cash that they're willing to spend on technology um, in order to compete with a lot of other retail banks and with new competitors. I think I agree on your point, Dan, that um, you know, the market conditions or structurally the market to me is not particularly attractive. Um, and so even though um, year on year, it's probably safe to say that CBA is going to continue its growth trajectory. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think it's where I want to put my money. Slow and steady returns don't make me a millionaire, right? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I'm sure there's some accountants out there who will tell you something about compound interest, Albert. But uh, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about learning how companies operate and investing in a refreshingly simple way. 
Please support our podcast by rating it five stars on Apple iTunes. There was an uptick in our last episode, so please keep those likes, follows, ratings coming. Every follow and rating really helps us out. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.